0: And welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza, and I'm your host here on our journey through all the underrated and underloved movies out there. And today's movie is a perfect representation of that. We are going to be talking about the 1994 uh, family baseball movie, Little Big League, which is one of those movies that came on the scene, made no impact whatsoever, disappeared, And it's weird because I've always thought this is a really good movie, and I'm very excited to talk about this one because it's one that I don't think a lot of people know, and I think a lot of people should know. This is a much better movie than you think it would be just by reading the description. Uh, My guest today is a uh, theater artist, baseball fan, young guy, much younger than me, but we've, we've known each other for years on the internet. We talk about sports and movies and pop culture all the time. Very excited to bring on Mr. Will Olson. Hello, Will. Hey, Mara. Thanks for having me. So, Will, um, first I guess we're going to get right into this one. Why Little Big League? Because you were the one who really kind of chose this movie. I had We had talked about doing a podcast for a while, and you're the one, I think, who mentioned this one. Why Little Big League? Why does this movie call to you?
1: Um, it calls to me because um, I'm a big baseball guy, um, not as much as Billy in the movie, um, but I was definitely the same kind of kid growing up. Um, I didn't memorize baseball stats, but I was that weirdo in study hall who read Atlases for fun. So um, I definitely identified with that about the character. And I feel like everyone talks about Sandlot. Everyone talks about Angels in the Outfield. But I think this one is definitely better than both of those. And, yeah, and I saw it on your list when you're doing the top 200 movies that deserve more love, mm-hmm. um, which eventually morphed into this. So – that was one of the entries that really stuck out to me. Of one like a movie that's like, "Hey, I really haven't heard of that, and it sounds like a good movie."
0: So. Oh, so you actually had not seen it? You only saw it recently for the first time? Um,
1: I remember your list. I look back at the entry, and it came out about August
0: 2013. Yeah, about five years ago, I wrote this website. That's what he's talking about.
1: Yeah, sorry, <laughs> I should have um, explained that better. But um, so I saw that entry and at the time I was like oh that sounds like a good movie and that was right before I left for my first semester of college and they had this thing at the school where they shut down a target and bust all the freshmen out and we could just shop to our heart's content and I was looking through the movie section and I saw rookie of the year and I remember you mentioned that in the entry as one of the other kid baseball <laughs> <laughs> movies that came out. And so I saw Rookie of the Year, and I was like, oh, it's the movie from Mario's List. I'm going to buy it. And I took it home and watched it like a couple of days later, and I was like, I got the wrong one. <laughs> and so – but when I transferred to the school I'm at now, um, we have like a used DVD store in town. And I was just looking through it one of the first times – and what do I see on the shelf for five dollars? Little Big League. And I took it and I watched it right away and I fell in love. So it's been a while since I've seen it. I rewatched it a couple of days ago for this podcast. But it is a movie that I like very much.
0: Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned Rookie of the Year and the Sandlot, because that's one of the problems that this movie faced for people who don't realize in the mid 90s. You know, movies kind of come in waves. They all follow a pattern. And for some reason, the big pattern in the 90s was little kids playing Major League Baseball or being involved with Major League Baseball or just little kid baseball movies. And there was just a whole slew of them. You had Angels in the Outfield, you had Rookie of the Year, you had The Sandlot, and you had this one, Little Big League, which this one is by far the least well-known of those four. And... All apologies to the Sandlot fans. I know people love the Sandlot. I don't really get why it's so beloved. I, it's, it's a cute movie, but it's like it's got this huge reputation, which I've never thought it really deserves. But in my opinion, Little Big League is the big one out of those four. And again, it's just it's just the irony of ironies that yet all of these four movies came out almost the, about the exact same thing. And the one that I think is the best is the one that nobody knows. That's the uh, sad thing of this.
1: Yeah, and I'd like to point out real quick that Rookie of the Year and Angels from the Outfield are both remakes. So um, Angels in the Outfield was a remake of a movie, the same movie from the 50s, and Rookie of the Year was a similar movie that came out about the same time in the 50s, but they just changed the title and the team, I think.
0: Okay, so this is the uh, only original one. I guess The Sandlot, too. but
1: Yeah, and The Sandlot, but who cares? Okay, yeah,
0: well, <laughs> we can save The Sandlot discussion for another one, because again, I, we're, this is a really, really almost unknown movie to the point that you go on the internet movie database and you look up Little Big League, and there's only 22 reviews of it from from readers, and there's only 5 critic reviews. It's like, it's just never, like, most movies have 500 reader reviews, or 50 to 60 critic reviews. This one, there's almost nobody says a word about it, but it's funny because all the comments are, this movie's so great! It's so underrated! So that's that that's the kind of movie that I'm, I feel very strongly about. So yeah, we are going to talk about the, the best of those four kids baseball movies. And I think we should go into a little history here. The baseball strike for people who might not know. Will and I are both big baseball fans. So um, are you familiar? You may be too young uh, to the baseball strike of 1994.
1: Yeah, I was about two months old when that happened, (laughs) so um, I'm going to let you go ahead and dive into that.
0: Okay, yeah. (laughs) For people who don't know baseball, or even for people who do know baseball, the baseball strike of 1994 is probably the darkest moment in baseball history, in my opinion, where all the players and the teams got in a big argument over all sorts of union issues, whatever, and they struck, and it canceled the World Series. It's the only time in baseball history that there was no World Series that year, and baseball had to work so hard after that to gain the trust of the players and uh, the fans again, because it really just was a horrible time to be a baseball fan. It still pisses me off thinking about it, that there was no World Series, and all these kid baseball movies came out in 1993, 4, 5, 6, in those years right there, and it's kind of, they kind of helped soften the blow a little, or they they kind of made people see baseball in a different light and little big league is the only one of the four i'm i'm i would assume you would agree with me because you've probably seen all of them well i think it's the only four that feels like it was written by somebody who knows baseball and understands baseball
1: oh absolutely and i think it helps that and you're probably going to want to get into it more that most of the baseball players in this movie are played by actual baseball players yeah um including some appearing as themselves
0: yeah it's crazy the number of baseball players in this movie it's like half the cast is actual baseball players that were big stars of that era. The other half are all the speaking roles in the movie. And like every single player in this movie is played by an actor who either played baseball professionally or played in college or like, or was on a semi-pro team. Like, Every single player in this movie that looks and acts like a real baseball player, and then it's set in real stadiums, they have real teams, it's just, there's so much authenticity to this movie, and that's the one thing that I really want to get to, uh, especially baseball fans. If you like baseball or baseball movies, this is a movie you want to see. It is so real, and every single thing in it re- like read rings true, like to the lingo the players use in the dugout, to the point when the players are par- talking about curveballs, they call it a hook, which would be how baseball players talk, like it's absolutely written by someone who knows baseball inside and out and that's one of the things you'll see in the reviews over and over even Roger Ebert in his review pointed out like this movie feels like baseball it's astounding how much different it is than those other ones that are all like little children's fantasy movies like a kid gets a miracle arm and can pitch for the Cubs which is ridiculous this movie is played (laughs) so straight that's is that something that jumps out as you as well like it's actually not a comedy it's played very realistic to how this scenario would happen
1: Yeah, I was watching it, um, and I figured, like, I hadn't seen it in a while, so I was rewatching it, and really the first half hour or so is all the, like, kid movie stuff, and then the other hour and a half, it's just like, wow, this is an actual baseball movie, and it's to the point where I think I'd put it in my top three, like, baseball movies of all time, I haven't seen that many, but... It's definitely Field of Dreams and Moneyball 1, too, and I'd put this number 3.
0: Okay, I would put this in my top as well, just because, again, it's so realistic, and it's not, again, it's not a fantasy. It's really all grounded in reality. Like, there's a scene in this movie when we start talking about the plot, we'll get to it, which is one of my all-time favorite scenes in a kid's family movie where this kid, he's, you know, he becomes the manager of his, the major, major league team, and he has to cut his favorite player. And it's like so heart-wrenching. He's got to tell this guy he's like, his family's not going to be able to eat. They're going to lose a paycheck. And what makes it gripping is that the player yells at him. He's like, "Does that is it supposed to make me feel good that you like my baseball card? He like rips into this little kid as if a someone would react when they're getting cut. And that's why I say this is not really your typical little kid's movie. It's very much based in what would happen. And we were talking about favorite baseball movies. The one that I always put as my number one is Major League. Are you a Major League fan? Uh, is that the one with Madonna? No. And, or no. is that later?
1: Okay, okay, because that's, that's the one I hate. Um, <laughs> Major League, the one with Tom Hanks, right? No, that's the same one. Oh, that's the same one. Okay. Then No, I haven't seen Major League.
0: <laughs> Major League with Tom Berenger and Charlie Sheen and Wesley Snipes.
1: Yeah, okay. I knew I knew Charlie Sheen was in one of them. I'm just
0: saying, get yeah, get that on your list right now. Like, before the end of this weekend, go watch that movie. Okay. Or else we cannot be friends anymore. I hate to put a, a premium on it like that. All right. But I liked your baseball card. <laughs> Is that supposed to make me feel better, Will Olson? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Major League is the other one that I say every single one of the actors in the movie understood and played and had played baseball, so it feels like a bunch of athletes out there, and that's what this movie has as well. So that's that's what I was trying to get at. Just the realism you do not see a lot in movies, and in this one you have like a Timothy Busfield uh, plays the made the main star, and this one is a player named Luke Collins. A lot of people don't know Timothy Busfield was a professional baseball player before he became an actor, so there's nobody with more street cred than this guy to play a baseball player and it's really the whole cast up and down is players like that that have this kind of uh street cred that like you watch them and it looks like they walk and throw and talk and everything just like a baseball player
1: yeah and um busfield was also kevin costner's brother-in-law in field of dreams to tie it all together and then i think what i like about these like kid movies from when i was well a kid is just to see where the like main kids ended up and you're talking about this movie not getting any play whatsoever. The kid who plays Billy really didn't go anywhere either. <laughs> um, he because he got to start in, like, on the after school specials on ABC. Like, those were some of his first little gigs. And then he bounced around to TV a little bit. He was on, like, 21 Jump Street, and he had a bit part in, um Rose. Oh, never mind about that one. <laughs> and, um and then he ended up in The Wizard, um, which I think is one of the best two-hour-long commercials ever. And but and one of his major roles was in – one of my favorite movies was 1992's Newsies. He played the little brother character in that, which I didn't know because Newsies came out in 92 and um, Little Big League came out in 94 – And I think he aged like 10 years in those two years because he looks like seven years old newsies, and now he actually looks 11. And I'm like, wow, puberty, man.
0: (laughs) Okay, you're talking about Luke Edwards, and and, and I'm glad you brought him up here. Luke Edwards is one of my favorite performances by a child actor in a movie. I think he's so good in this movie, and again, we're talking about this silly little movie that adds nothing to the world, and I keep talking about it like it's great, but like, he is a really good child actor, and I I am actually kind of shocked that he never did much after this movie, because he's in like, every scene in this movie, and he's got to do dramatic scenes, he doesn't actually do a whole lot of comedic scenes, but you like... A lot of kids come off as pretentious on film when they're playing these, you know, little kids in grown-up situations. I buy, like, every single scene in this movie that this kid is thrust into these adult situations just because he's such a good actor. So I, I, I'm kind of sad to hear that he didn't do much after this because he really holds this movie together.
1: Oh, yeah, he was great. And, you know, I was the same way. I was like, okay, it's going to be another cutie little kid. And then I was like, oh, wow, you can actually act. <laughs> so I'm definitely on the Luke Edwards train. Even though it sounds like it derailed a while ago. So
0: <laughs> Well maybe you can get his baseball card and maybe he'll be happy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I have to tell my story how I first heard about this movie and this will I actually have some very personal experience with this movie because and this may be only of interest to baseball fans, but I am from Seattle, grew up in Bellevue, Washington, right outside Seattle which means I pretty much grew up in the Kingdom, the Seattle Stadium, in the 80s and 90s, and my team was the Seattle Mariners. I am a diehard Mariners fan until the day I die, which is probably going to be a very sad death because I doubt they will have ever won anything by then, but it was a very sad existence. They are the most forgettable team in baseball history. They have no identity whatsoever. They've never been relevant to anything, but in this movie, the Mariners are the bad guys which is the greatest thing ever okay. when you're growing up in Seattle in the nineties and your team, the only time the Mariners have ever been featured in a film prior to this movie was in the naked gun. And the only reason why is because they were the cheapest team to get the rights for that. They could put them in the movie cause it would, didn't cost any money. <laughs> so the Mariners were in the naked That's gun great. and then little big league. And I was so excited to see my team in a movie, let alone the bad guys were the villains. Like, Who have we ever had a rivalry with? We've been nothing. And this is in 1984. Seattle's first playoff appearance was the next year in 95. So I have such a fond uh, affinity for this movie just because the Mariners were in there. And I will say, Will, this will be before your time as well. But the the reason I knew about this movie and how I first saw it is because, you know, I, I listened, I've listened to every Mariner game ever. I've not missed a game since like 1982. It's the saddest thing ever. But the Mariners announcer, we had the guy named Dave Niehaus and we had another guy named Rick Riz. And I remember when all these kid baseball movies were coming out in the 90s. And I remember Rick Riz was just kind of tearing into them once saying, this is so stupid, you got these kids baseball movies and he was just kind of going off on them. And then I remember he paused and he said, but you know, I saw that one little big league, that one was pretty good. And so that right there is the recommendation for how I eventually gave in and saw this movie. And he was absolutely right. It's the one kid baseball movie that does not belong with the rest of the set. So I would just like to thank Rick Riz, longtime Mariners announcer, for being the person who turned me on to this movie.
1: It's pretty cool. Um, speaking of an, <laughs> um, There's one scene, not to jump too far in the movie, but there's one scene where they have, like, the announcer guy play-by-play in the mm-hmm. Metrodome, and they're doing the playoff game. With the Mariners, and he calls them the M's. Do people actually call them the M's in
0: Seattle? Yes. We do call them the M's, that's it. I've heard, even in the 80s at one point, I heard people calling them the NERS, which is apostrophe N-E-R-S, which is the worst name ever. <laughs> but the M's is a legit term. We do say go M's.
1: Okay, because I'm used to, you know, I'm a huge Red Sox fan and my mom loves the Phillies. So I'm used to, you know, the Sox and the Phils, and I'm like, the M's, that's kind of weird. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we have Seattle historically has not made much resonance in the world of baseball. Although, we we will get to the end of this movie, and it's funny how this movie ties into real life. But anyway, um, let's let's delve into this movie, because again, this is one that I think a lot of people might not know, so I want to walk through it and kind of explain why I think this is a special movie. Are you ready for that? Oh yeah, definitely. Let's play ball. So, this movie is the story of a little boy named Billy Haywood, and he's played by an actor named Luke Edwards. We already talked about him. This kid's fantastic. You gotta see this movie just to see this kid. And he, uh, his grandfather owns the Minnesota Twins. So this is like the kid that comes from wealth. He comes from a kind of a, you know, an illustrious family. And he's one of these kids who, He's not exactly an athlete. He's just one of these nerds, kind of these dorks that loves baseball. He grew up around baseball. He knows everything about it. He is like our young friend Will Olson here, probably sat in the library every day and read the baseball almanac. and. And again, I would say this is a fantasy creation that doesn't exist in real life, but that's not true because this was me as well. I was exactly like this kid. I was such a dork about baseball history and baseball stats. So, Will, I mean, you understand. It's a very lonely life. Nobody nobody can relate to the baseball nerd kid. No, not at all. <laughs> I would say, did, did you play? Were you like a good player? Were you on teams and stuff?
1: Oh, not at all. I played basketball um, for like two years um but that's because it was really kind of the cheapest sport around here because you just have to pay for the t-shirt and not all the equipment like baseball um but i did get bullied a lot by the baseball team in middle school and i'd laugh at them it's like there's something in your sport called a walk i don't think you can make (laughs) fun of me well
0: well, see you got to interact with the baseball kids see in one way or another
1: yeah, I had, I had contact with the baseball team. <laughs>
0: yeah, in the locker and, like, their fists against your forehead. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> okay, yeah, so you and I are big-time baseball nerds, and that's this kid in this movie, Billy. And he's, again, he's not the... the Best athlete or anything, he kind of sucks at baseball. He does his best, but he's just a nerd, and again, he knows baseball history. And we have all these shots at the beginning of the movie of him and his grandfather walking around just talking about baseball, going to the games. And again, his grandfather is the owner of the team, and so he'll invite Billy down into the locker room, and they'll just go in there, and Billy's like best friends with all the players. Like, there's this guy, Lou Collins, played by Timothy Busfield, who's like the big star of the team. There's a guy, Jerry Johnson, who's Billy's favorite player, and again, It's just a really cool little relationship. All these actors and this kid are just like best buddies. He's clearly grown up with them. He knows them. He knows everything there is about this game. And we even get a scene at the start of the movie where he's in a Little League game. And, like, there's this disputed call at third base. You have three runners on the same base. And Billy, the umpires will even go to Billy. Like, what's the ruling? and billy's like a supreme court justice he knows the ruling he's like well and this happened in 1926 in the world series so here's how it goes here's the ruling so again (laughs) that's that's the kind of little nerd that will and i were as little kids we were this kind of kid
1: yeah i was the nerd type but one of the kids on that little league team it's like one of the first shots in the movie they panned all three of the bases and you know they have third base second base and the kid on first base is just standing directly on top of the base just kind of looking around at the sky like hey what's going on over th-? that's who i was <laughs> in gym class so
0: so that was your cameo in the movie that's the character you relate to
1: yes yeah yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, so, again, this is the owner of the Minnesota Twins, which is a real baseball team. Again, every single location, team, stadium is real in this movie. And Billy's so close to his grandfather, they have this awesome relationship. And the grandfather's played by Jason Robards, one of my favorite actors. He's not in this movie much, he's going to, uh, meet his fate very quickly. But again, it's a very nice scene. And the other variable here at the start of the movie is that the man, the twins have, have hired this new manager, this guy named O'Farrell, played by, uh, Dennis Farina. Anybody, are you familiar with Dennis Farina, Will? His body of work?
1: Yeah, I know him from Snatch, um, <laughs> which is very similar to <laughs> the kind of general manager he is in this movie. Um, so, that's his much as I know about him. Yeah,
0: Dennis Farina is known for being an incredible psychopath in movies. He's always a villain. He screams. He's kind of scary to work with. And that's basically his role in this movie. He's the manager of the twins, and he just screams at the players. He's intimidating. He's mean. He's just not helpful, not uh, positive. and And so with the whole discussion at the start of the movie is with Billy and the grandfather. You know, should I have hired O'Farrell? Was that a good hiring? So anyway, this is the setup to the movie. And what's going to happen very quickly is that... One day, Billy's rushing home from school. He's going to go to a game with his grandfather. His grandfather said, you know, this uh, pitcher, Roger Clemens, is pitching tonight. He's the best strikeout pitcher of his generation. You may only get one chance in your lifetime to see him. So Billy's going to go to the game with his grandfather, and he comes home. And again, in a kind of a sad little uh, emotional moment in a kid's movie, the grandfather has died. And Billy finds out his best friend, his grandfather, has passed away. And it's going to lead to a uh, kind of a sad little 5 minute section of movie here.
1: Yeah, it was – when I watched it, it was very a very jarring shift because, like I said, like the first 20 minutes of the movie are really funny, um, especially Billy's friend Chuck, <laughs> who is very, it was probably my favorite character in the movie until we meet one of his other friends later. Um so you have Chuck, there's a scene of them in the ice cream shop and Chuck's just asking Billy, it's like, is your dad richer than Mr. Howell? And everyone's like, who's Mr. Howell? And they're like, from Gilligan's Island. And I'm like, what 10 year old is making Gilligan's Island references in 1994? <laughs> <laughs> so, and then I think there's later on, he's um, before when he's rushing home from school, he had to turn in a science project. That was the deal with his mom. Um, he can go to the game if he finishes science project. And he did the same kind of thing I did in school. He just repurposed all his old projects. So he turned in uh, last year's Mount Vesuvius as this year's Mount St. Helens and Chuck's kind of poking around at the diorama and he's like, Oh, I added trees this time, guys. It's totally different. And Chuck's poking at one of them. He's like, is that a spruce? (laughs) Like Chuck is just, he's a background care, a sad character that really pays off if you pay attention to him. Yeah. And I just, He's one of my favorites.
0: <laughs> yeah, I didn't write down a lot of Chuck quotes, but he is fantastic. Oh, and... I have plenty. <laughs> oh, okay, good. I will turn to you. You are my my Chuck expert here. But yeah, Billy's two friends are hilarious. They do most of the comic relief in this movie, aside from there's going to be one player later in the movie played by uh, Jonathan Silverman Bowers. He's going to carry most of the grown-up comic relief. But yeah, so the funeral happens and the grandfather dies. And again, the grandfather, one of the richest men in the world, we go to a, a will reading at the end where i mean in the at the funeral home and and there's a special one for billy and his mom and and again you could play this scene for laughs but it's not played for laughs in the movie this is played very seriously where the grandfather he's reading his uh last will and testament and he says basically billy i have one special thing for you as you're my best friend you're my grandson i love hanging out with you we're so close and because you're my best friend, I want to leave you my uh favorite possession in the world, the Minnesota Twins. So basically what happens is a 12-year-old becomes the owner of the Minnesota Twins. Now, ostensibly, the grandfather probably thought he was going to die a little later and Billy might be a little older. But again, that's the reality of this movie is that this 12-year-old now owns the Minnesota Twins. And I will say from here, you can go in two directions of this movie. You can go comedy and make it all lighthearted and silly and like the Disney movie. Or we can go this direction with this this movie goes, which is like a hundred percent based in reality from here on out, which is really kind of amazing that they go this way.
1: Yeah, and I think there is a bit of comedy right um, right before they find the will because it's on a videotape, and and they put it in, and all of a sudden a uh, Michael Jordan Bulls game starts playing on the tape, and the lady at the funeral home's like. Oh, sorry. It starts in a few minutes. He taped over, which sounds stupid, but it really fits the character of the grandpa because he in like the 10, 15 minutes he's in the movie. He's actually pretty funny.
0: Yeah. OK, here's the, the best Jason Robards line for people who haven't seen this movie again. He's he missed this guy. What is his name? I forget his first name. Hey, uh, Um. um T something? I think. Okay. We'll just call him Mr. Mr. Haywood, Jason Robards, one of the richest men ever. And, and one of the kids in the ice cream shop even asked him earlier, um, are you richer than Jed Clampett from the Beverly Hillbillies? And Jason Robards goes, I piss on Jed Clampett.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I had that one written down too. And another one in the ice cream shop I liked, um, cause they're all eating like ice cream Sundays and he brings some over to the table and he just looks like. He tells the kids, "Eat as many of these as you can while you're still young, because as you, when you get older, you can't eat anything that tastes good ever again." Yeah. <laughs> so that was that was very real life advice from a family movie.
0: <laughs> yeah. So Jason Robards has his 15 minutes in this movie. and It's very sad. He dies and leaves the kid, the team, to his his grandson and and Billy's just going to be hands off. He, you know, he's 12. He has no business running a baseball team. Yeah. He knows everything about the sport, but like he's 12, what is he supposed to do? And so he goes and starts watching the practices and hanging out with the players. And they all think it's kind of silly that he owns the team, but they're still buddies with him. And this is where it's going to kind of cross the line is that Billy sees the manager, O'Farrell, and the manager's just yelling at everyone and screaming at everybody. And Billy kind of walks up to him and you know, Price tries to pull rank here and says, You know, I'm your boss now. I'm the owner. Why don't you be a little nicer to the players? And O'Farrell basically tells him to piss off. And so they get in this whole little kerfuffle where O'Farrell just will not respect him, will not listen to anything Billy says. And so Billy fires him. Billy right on the spot says, That's it. You're gone. And so that if O'Farrell, you know, he has a little temper tantrum and walks off. And so now Billy is left without a manager. And what happens is what he'll end up managing the team. He becomes the guy running and calling the shots, but there's, they actually try to treat this real, re, re, with reality as if it would happen in real life where they have a whole scene where Billy's talking to his other advisors and they're all like, well, all the good managers, nobody wants to come here. Cause nobody's going to work for a kid, which is what would happen in real life. Nobody's going to go work for a kid. It's ridiculous. And so Billy's friends are like, well, why don't you try to be manager? You know everything there is to know about baseball. You know every situation, stat, player, history. You know the history of everybody. So why don't you go manage the team? So Billy's like, well, okay. So we have a press conference where Billy announces himself as the manager of the Twins, and this is where the movie's going to go from here. This is when you hear people talk about Little Big League. It's the movie where the kid manages the Twins. Yes. And I
1: think it's funny um, when he's talking with his friends. Um, They mentioned O'Farrell getting fired. And um, I think it was Chuck. He said something like, oh, you know, I can't believe um, you fired O'Farrell. And he's like, I never fired anyone before. But it's kind of weird because he resigned. (laughs) And it's like that's such a business thing where it's like, yeah, you don't – people, even if they get fired, they just come out in public and be like, I'm resigning for blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, you're not. You got fired. (laughs) Um, And then – Chuck has another great line, because Billy's a little apprehensive about taking over as general manager, and Chuck has this line, it's like, it's the American League, they have the DH, you'll be fine, (laughs) and I'm like, hey... It's not true.
0: Yeah, and again, that's a line that only like a hardcore baseball fan would really get in the movie. A non-baseball fan wouldn't really get the joke there. The joke, for people who don't know, is that one league, the American League, has a designated hitter, a guy who just hits for the pitcher. So there's no substitutions, there's no strategy, and that's the knock on the American League. So again, there's this line in the movie, yeah, it can't be that hard to manage the Twins. They have the DH. Again, that's just a baseball nerd line right there.
1: And then when they're calling, they have to call the... um Commissioner, that's what they're called. Mm -hmm. Um, They have to call the commissioner of baseball, who I think, was it Rob Manfred at the time, or was he later? It was probably
0: before Manfred, but they don't name him in the movie, yeah.
1: Okay. But they have to call the commissioner to get his okay, I guess. And the commissioner asks, like, well, what about his mom? And Billy's sitting there with um, someone in the front office, and they're, like, pausing the phone call. And Billy's just like, just tell him that he said – she said it's okay with her if it's okay with you, <laughs> and I'm like that's exactly what a kid would say, yeah, so it's like they get the baseball right and they get the kids right,
0: okay, so Billy is now the manager of the team, and again, you could play this for laughs or you can go into the reality, which is right what happens where he goes down to the locker room to talk to his team. And they just give him the silent treatment. They're just staring at this. They're like, Are you serious? I'm playing for a twelve year old kid, which is exactly how grown ups would respond. That's again, the Disney movie would play this completely different. But I mean, this one this one they revolt. Like, they want nothing to do with Billy. Like they're friends with him and they've been they've grown up with this kid. They all know him. But like everybody on this team but there's the two guys that Billy's friends with, Lou Collins and uh Jerry Johnson, they'll they're willing to give it a chance, but everyone else just revolts. And Billy gives him a speech, he's like, you know please, if you don't want to do it for me, do it for my grandfather. I'm dedicating the season to him. And he's like, just give me a chance. Just give me a couple weeks. If it doesn't work out, I promise I'll resign because the players don't want to get embarrassed. They're grown men with egos and pride. And that's, again, it's such a different tact than most movies would kind of approach it here. But yeah, so Billy gives them the speech, says, just do it for me. Just give it a chance and we'll try. And so they agree, we'll give it a couple weeks, but no promises. And right off the bat, they're just revolting. Like the first game, Billy calls for a hit and run, which is where, for people who don't know baseball, where the runner starts stealing, and the batter is supposed to swing and hit the ball. And basically, if he doesn't hit the ball, then the runner's dead meat because the runner's not even trying to steal. He's just running. And the, the catcher on the team just sees Billy call a hit and run, and he just refuses to do it. So he leaves the runner out to dry. And it's just, it's just clear right from the start, nobody respects Billy's authority. And it's, it's just really kind of terrible. It's kind of sad what happens to him the first game.
1: Yeah, I think the players in Little Big League act like the players in Air Bud should have acted. Like, what do you mean a dog is on our team? <laughs> but um, I think it's interesting about the hit and run because the – I forget who it is, but the I think it's the catcher. Yeah, the catcher.
0: Hodges. Oh, Hodges, yeah.
1: Hodges, yeah. I don't – I'm bad with names, so I wrote down – like, I paid attention to Lou, mm-hmm. um, who is um, Busfield, but – everyone else i'm like oh yeah him that that guy what position is he so but the catcher um does it on purpose like he gets the signal and then throws the call like doesn't do it on purpose and then there's a scene later which i think is like one of the one or two like disney kind of scenes in the movie Mm -hmm. where it's after the game and they're all in the locker room and he's like He's just kind of sitting there like the one – one of the other guys is like, hey, nice blowing that call. Show that kid a lesson. And then he just kind of looks in the mirror and is like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> like he has that kind of like sulking look on his face and it's – that was – you know, that's one of the few Disney moments in the movie. OK. But
0: – We're not saying it's flawless.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but one of the good things about the first game was um, I think – They were playing, who are they playing, the Indians?
0: They are playing uh, Detroit.
1: Detroit, oh right, because the Tigers suck apparently in this movie. (laughs) Um, So, which, I mean, that's accurate too. But anyways, so the, I think it's the pitcher from Detroit comes over um, after the game, or no, because it's a home game. So it's the catcher from the Tigers comes over after the last strike and just walks right over to the dugout and tosses. Billy the Ballinger just says, welcome to the big leagues, kid. And like, that's like, ooh, if I was 11, I'd be like, I'd have a uh, temper tantrum probably. (laughs) And it's, Billy pretty much doesn't do that. And so good for him.
0: (laughs) That was the real catcher for the Tigers. Almost every player in this movie, that's Mickey Tettleton, who was the actual catcher for the Tigers. Who's like, yeah, yeah, here's your, tell your, here's your, here's your game ball. Good night, sweetheart, or something like that. So Mickey Tettleton, on his acting resume, can say, "Trash talking an 11-year-old." so <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's where I want to get in my acting career.) <laughs>
0: Okay yeah so the first game is just a disaster because nobody respects Billy and they're just hanging him out to dry and that's something you can do in baseball and again that's baseball people know this they see this it's it's very much a uh, pissing contest of egos a lot of the time between managers and players where a player just doesn't do what the manager tells them because they want to make the manager look bad and that's what happens and and so at the end of the game Billy is put on the spot. The media all comes and asks him, like, why did you blow that call? Why did you call these stupid things? And Billy, you know, could sell out his players and said, they're not listening to me. But Billy, right off the bat, shows his maturity by saying he, he doesn't throw his players under the bus. He even says, yeah, it was a bad call on my end. I guess I shouldn't have done that. Maybe I should have called for a hit and run. And he's kind of looking at Hodges the whole time the guy that blew the call. So it's like, Billy's got some maturity. He actually plays some neat little mind games with these players. And again, it's it's all done about as realistically as you could do it in this movie, and that's, again, why Roger Ebert, if it's funny, if you read his reviewer, he's, like, astounded that this movie works. He, As his review is going along, he's like, am I getting pulled in by this movie? Is this working? He's like, my God, how does this movie work? It shouldn't, but it does, and it's it's very crafty how they show the psychology between the child and the adult, so... Anyway, Hodges feels bad that he let that he screwed Billy over, and Billy didn't sell him out. He's like maybe Billy's a little more mature than I am, and so uh what's going to happen is the the first moment where the team kind of coalesce behind Billy is the in game number two is that the twins have this giant, scary pitcher on their team, Blackout. I'm sure you're a blackout fan, will.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, I have John Rocker's rookie card. Of course I love Blackout.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Blackout is played by, again, he's this big, scary guy with a Fu Manchu mustache. He's like six foot six tall. He just has a big, booming voice, and he's actually played by an actor named Brad Leslie, who was, not surprisingly, a former Major League pitcher. This guy pitched for the Reds back in the early 80s. I think it was the Reds, but in 1982, yeah, he was a real pitcher. So this guy, he's getting into trouble in a game, and Billy has to go in and take this pitcher out of the game. And, you know, Blackout is just glaring at him, and he's like the most intense pitcher ever, and Billy's got to take him out of the game. And Blackout's ready to punch him, which, again, would is how this would go in real life. The minute a 12-year-old's telling this big, scary guy he's going to come out of a game, you know, the guy is about to, ready to swing at this little kid, like, shut up and sit down. And all the other players kind of rally. They come to the mound, and they rally around Billy, and even the catcher, Hodges, kind of realizes we should treat this kid with a little more respect. And they all stick up for Billy. They're like, get out of here. And go go sit down. So it's the one moment the team kind of rallies around Billy and it really is a little different from here.
1: Yeah, and I like when the relief pitcher for um, Blackout comes out and he's running up to the mound and just after like everyone comes over and he just looks at Blackout and he's like I had nothing to do with this. Like that's his exact line. Um but in between the first and second game there's a fun little Chuck moment, Chuck Alert. Um there the three friends, they're hanging out on a bridge in town, I guess, and they're fishing. And it's just – it's a static shot for like 30 seconds or so of them just sitting on the bridge with their fishing poles in the river. And then they just cut to Chuck. And the first thing out of his mouth is, I hate fishing. <laughs> <laughs> it's just just a little Chuck moment that I have written down. So <laughs> <laughs> got to give my boy some props.
0: Okay, so after the second game here, the Twins are 0-2. Billy has not de- proven anything to anybody, but his players at least are willing to give him the chance, and he kind of gives this big speech. He's like, you know, you guys, you get to play baseball for a living. Like, this is the greatest thing ever. You get to go to Yankee Stadium. Like, well, let's just have some yeah. fun. Like, stop pressing. If it's if we win or lose, just enjoy enjoy life. And it's, it's actually a really cool speech. And they, they agree. Okay, let's go out and have a little fun. And this is where things are going to start to turn around in game number three and game number three. There's a great scene here. Again, this is a scene that it could only have been written by somebody who knows baseball. The, uh, the steel of home scene here. Well, Oh yeah. That, <laughs> that was great. Okay. We have, this is going to be a tough one to explain to non baseball fans. Cause again, this is so deep rooted in baseball strategy. I will kind of set the scene for you here where Billy, Billy again, knows every baseball play or trick play that has ever happened in baseball. And apparently one of his idols is this guy, uh, Wahoo Sam Crawford, back from the 1910s, who's obscure even for people who know baseball. But Billy knows this guy used to do this play. And so what happens is we have a runner on third for the Twins, and Billy has now decided he's going to be the third base coach. And they have a trick play. When the batter walks, he goes to first base, he gets four balls, goes to first The batter, he's going to have the batter immediately start running to second base. And the minute the guy starts running for second base, the catcher will throw it down there. And then the runner on third is going to come home and steal. And this is a play... I know very well from Little League. I call this the asshole Little League coach play because every <laughs> Little League asshole coach does this fucking play. <laughs> and it's, it's... They do this to 11-year-olds when these kids are just learning how to throw the ball and just learning to pitch with control that these asshole coaches will do, do this stupid steal where after a walk, they'll make the guy run to second just to make the catcher force him throw to second. And the, the throw will always go wild and not only will the runner from third score but the runner from second comes all the way around to score. Again, it's the... The asshole. Have you, again, you didn't play Little League all that much, but have you seen this done in Little League before or anything?
1: Uh, No, actually, (laughs) it was the first time I ever saw it.
0: (laughs) It's a very prominent Little League play, and again, Billy, he's like, yeah, Ty Cobb and Wahoo Sam Crawford used to do this play, (laughs) which is, it's such a baseball nerdy scene to have in this movie, but he pulls off this trick Little League play that shouldn't work in in Major League Baseball, but it does. Everyone's so excited that Billy pulled off this trick play, and again, it's not played comedically. It's so realistic, the way the catcher throws the ball and the way the runners go and the way they feign and, and fake a throw, so it's just, this scene in particular is one that i really point out is the realism every little detail is just perfect mm-hmm. okay so now that billy has proven himself and that he can pull off the uh ty cobb play which <laughs> again just hilarious in a kids baseball movie they have a ty cobb play but <laughs> but uh now the twins start winning we have a montage where all of a sudden they're having fun and they kind of realize billy actually has some good ideas let's start doing this stuff and they start winning and this cool little montage where they start winning and everyone's excited and they they have fully accepted billy as their manager And we even get this little subplot where the star player on the team, Lou, starts dating Billy's mom. (laughs) That's
1: awkward. (laughs)
0: Yeah. It's rough when your star player's dating your mom. And again, yeah, (laughs) Billy's from a single parent family. There's no dad around. So it's like very awkward. We get the scenes later in the movie where Billy gets grounded by his mom and he benches Lou. If (laughs) I have to go to bed, then Lou can't stay up and bang you tonight, mom. I mean, he doesn't say that, but that's the implication. So
1: one thing about the montage I love, too, is the music. Because just based on, like, the time period this movie came out and the fact that it's a kids movie, you know, you'd think it's like, oh, it's going to have some, like, late 80s, early 90s, like, pop rock music mm-hmm. going on. But it has some, like, pretty good, like, 50s-ish era rock music going, like, classic rock. I'm like, oh, it's actually kind of catchy and not annoying.
0: Yeah, at one point, Runaround Sue starts playing, I believe, from the 60s, which is very fitting for a 90s baseball movie. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so now that the team is starting to win and again we're going to have the classic arc here where things are going to go well for Billy and it's going to be exciting and all of a sudden things are going to plummet down down to earth. But first we have a scene where and this is one of my favorite scenes in the movie, one of the few comedic scenes in the movie where a bunch of the players are upstairs in the hotel room and they're on a road trip somewhere and and they have taken to dropping water balloons out of the window onto people below, <laughs> which might seem uh, like, out of character, but this is probably pretty realistic to how baseball players behave on the road. I've heard stories about this stuff. Have you, Will? Uh, no, but I totally believe it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. So the the rest of the managing staff sends Billy up to talk to the players to stop dropping water balloons, and Billy does not only not stop them, but he joins them, And they start dropping water balloons onto passersby, which is a reminder that Billy is still a kid. He's a little – he doesn't quite understand the grown-up responsibilities. And this is furthered when Billy later in the hotel room discovers they have porn on the TV. Yep. (laughs) And what is the movie, Will? What is the movie that Billy watches 11 times? Did you write it down?
1: It's um, Sexy Nurses from Jersey or something like that. I know it's something nurses from Jersey, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's Night Nurses from Jersey. Sexy Sexy Nurses was the remake.
1: Okay. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, I grew up on remakes, so.
0: <laughs> yeah, so Billy discovers the uh, the joys of porn in the hotel room, and he watches Night Nurses from Jersey 11 times in one night, which will end up being him being asleep in the in the dugout the next day because he's uh, basically stayed up all night. I'm not going to say spanking it, but we'll say just enjoying the porn.
1: Yes, and any kid, that, I hate kids enough, but a kid falling asleep in Fenway Park, that's unforgivable. <laughs>
0: Okay, so so the Twins are riding very high right now, and everything's going good. And basically, two things are going to happen. There's still one player on the team, McGreevy, who does not buy into Billy. He will, he's tanking games. He's intentionally not doing well. He does not buy into Billy. And Billy will end up uh, convincing him to do well, basically saying, you know, if you're a free agent after the season and you can't throw strikes, who's going to pay you any money? And that's the one way to kind of get McGreevy to come around. And Billy starts getting a big head, and that's kind of the problem here is that He's winning games. The grown-ups are respecting him. He's pulling off all these adult responsibilities, and he's starting to blow off his friends, and this is where the downfall of Billy is going to start here.
1: Yes, and it's also the introduction of my second favorite character in the movie, Lowell the backup friend.
0: Explain that. Explain that to people. Sure.
1: So Chuck and the other kid who isn't important because he's not Chuck, um, they recruit this shorter, nerdier version of Billy, and his name is Lowell. And there's a scene where the mom's on the phone, the press is hounding the house. And it's like, oh, is Billy there? Can Billy talk? No, no, no. And the three friends walk in, and the mom hangs up the phone, and she's like, and I people said to get a blocked number, but what did I listen? And she just turns and sees uh, Lowell there, and she just points at him, and she's like. I don't know you, which is, like, the most mom reaction ever. Um, And so they introduce him. They're like, this is Lowell. He's hanging out with us because Billy sucks. (laughs) And he's just – he doesn't even, like, say hello. He just kind of, like, raises his hand.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he's not allowed to speak.
1: Yeah, there's another part um, a little later when – they're um, trying to make plans with Billy But he's like I have to you know do all this paperwork I have practice I have to do this And that blah 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 twins And I think they invite him Billy says it's like okay I'll meet you at the Water park um, Like Roaring Waters or whatever it's called I'll meet you there Thursday at one And Lowell's just like oh boy Roaring Waters And Chuck just turns to him and he's like We've been over this you don't talk Unless we talk to you <laughs> yes. And it's like i've as a kid who's been a lowell and had many lowells in my young life because kids are passive-aggressive um, <laughs> that i just i love lowell almost as much as i love chuck so
0: i love that you said kids are passive-aggressive yet there's a scene later where chuck is literally sitting on lowell's head so that's just <laughs> aggressive aggressive that ain't no passive about that one
1: well i think lowell is just passive passive and i think Chuck is just aggressive aggressive
0: <laughs> so. No, i do agree lowell is awesome the the replacement again billy is off managing the twins and really getting wrapped up in all these adult responsibilities and and obligations yeah so they bring in a replacement billy so we just which is a very funny moment yeah okay so now we get to the scene the downfall and this is again this is the scene that i when i think of this movie i always think of this scene where billy his best friends, his favorite player on the team is this guy, Jerry Johnson, this big black guy who's been on the team for 11 years. And Jerry's starting to decline. His bad is not what it once was. He's getting a little old. And basically, the other coaches tell Billy, I know he's your friend, but you got to cut him like he's he's not up to the level of baseball he needs to be to be on this team anymore. It's just embarrassing him. You have to cut him. And and Billy is not up for that. Again, he is a kid. He's had, he's idolized this guy his whole life, and they're best friends in the clubhouse. And Billy is now put into a situation which, again, you do not see in any other kids' baseball movie of this era. And that's why I think this one's special, where at first, Jerry gets a couple lucky hits, and and the coaches are like, and Billy's all cheering. He's like, yeah, see that? Jerry can still hit. And the other coaches are like, you realize You're getting excited for a little measly lucky single like you you realize there's something wrong when you're getting that excited over this tiny little victory. And so that's where it comes to a head where Billy literally has to call Jerry into his office and and cut him from the team and release him. And, yeah, it's uh, this is the scene that always strikes me. Is this a scene that jumps out to you as well?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. It's it was so uncomfortable to watch. Just because, you know, like you said, like Billy adores this guy. Mm-hmm. And it's like, hey, you know, you're just not what you used to be. And he's trying, Billy's trying to make him feel better. And he's like, you know, my friend offered me the uh, his Wade Boggs and Sammy Sosa cards for yours. And I wouldn't make the trade because I love you so much. And, you know, Jerry just unloads. He's like, and that's supposed to make me feel better. And, you know, he's. Like you said in the beginning, he's going off. He's like, "I have a family to feed. I have to make some money. You know, you how are you going to, you know, ruin my career like this?" And then he just storms out of the office. But before he leaves, this is the line that always gets me, and it's not Jerry's line, it's Billy's line. So right before Jerry storms out of the office, he's, you know, getting in Billy's face and he's like, "I'm going to go out of here, and when I come back, I'm going to make you pay for it." and he just slams the door, and Billy's just looking at the door, he's like, I hope you do, because, you know, I've had so many friends, who have I've had, like, a falling out with, or something, just over a character flaw, or whatever, and they're like, oh, you'll see, I'm gonna get better, and show you that we should have been friends, and it's just, it comes from such a sincere place, like, I hope you do, because I really like you as a person, I hope you get better, it's the same kind of thing here, it's like, I really like you, Jerry. You're my favorite baseball player. I hope you do like get back on track and have a career renaissance. Like, that's the line that gets me.
0: Yeah, no, it's absolutely played very straight, very realistically. And the line where Jerry gets mad, it's, it's like he gets almost scary angry. He gets right in Billy's face. Basically, like you said, I'm going to come back and stick it right in your face. Yeah, that's That's what's played so realistically here, and that's why I say this one, and again, the, the Mariners announcer, Rick Riz, why he really singled out this one as all these kids' baseball movies that he saw. He's like, this one's special. This one's a little different, and that's the scene that I think does it right here, where, yeah, Billy has to grapple with this whole thing, like... Like, uh, the other coaches will say, Billy, you know, you're the boss now. You can't be a fan. That's, I don't know if you get the reality of what you are doing here now. You can't be a fan of these people. It's a business. Your job is to make the team better. And so Billy had to just cut his favorite player of all time and he's like messed up in the head. Billy spirals pretty downward here into, into depression and he starts taking it out on Lou, who's the player who's dating his mom and Billy just for no reason starts benching Lou. He's like, you know, you've been struggling, and, like, uh, I'm gonna... you, You can't play anymore until you get your head on straight. And Lou's like, what? You think I'm not concentrating? And it's basically, it's all over the fact that he's dating Billy's mom. So yeah, Billy he goes into a really dark place here and we go through a spiral here where the twins start losing and everything goes bad for Billy. All the media is on him. They're double, they're uh, second guessing him. They're all second guessing his opinions and they're just making up stories about him, about how he's hard to work with. And it's just, it's just a, a really sad stretch of the movie here that there's not one laugh to be found in any of this. It's just really kind of depressing. And even Billy's friends are saying like, Billy sucks. We don't want to hang around him anymore. And it's, this is going to, we Billy will need to refine his spirit before he, we get to the end of the movie here. So it's but it's a sad little stretch of the movie here. I think.
1: Yeah, because you know there's the scene where um, Billy like ends up like dishing his friends at the water park, and then you know him and his mom are fighting because she finds the bill from the hotel with the porn, and they get into an <laughs> argument there, and then there's um, a scene where Chris Berman from Sports Center, which actually appears in the movie as himself, which. Uh-huh just gives this movie way more validation in my eyes <laughs> just because it's like, oh, it's an actual sports person instead of like John McReporter. Um, <laughs> so Chris Berman's interviewing him at the Metro Dome and he storms off of the interview and it, he's just, you know, 11 year olds throw temper tantrums, but this is like a legit, like I'm angry kind of thing. Like an adult doing this would be like, yes, that's what an adult would do in this situation. So
0: yeah, and Billy's just sullen. He won't talk to anybody. Yeah. And oh, there, I, I forgot, there is one funny moment here where he gives a press conference because his mom grounds him for speaking back to an umpire. And, <laughs> and Billy gives a press conference where he, he starts shortening his name and speaking about himself in the third person, where he says, a Bill Haywood must be allowed to speak his mind. A Bill Haywood must be. And she's like, where did that come from? And he's like, well, Mom, all the guys do it. That's how Reggie Jackson talks. And she's like, you're not Reggie Jackson. You're Billy Haywood
1: i think she said something like you know well let reggie jackson's mom worry about reggie jackson <laughs> yeah. and it's like well you know w- will olson likes that part <laughs> yes
0: <laughs> well a will olson must be allowed to watch sports movies enjoy and enjoy them yes <laughs> okay so so billy has really hit the skids here things are not going well the twins were in first place they were doing so well and now they're backsliding and and Billy really needs to re to refine his spirit of the game, and it kind of happens in this nice little scene where he's just walking down the street one day, and he uh, he sees these kids playing stickball. And uh, Billy asks if he can play with them, and they're like, aren't you Billy Haywood, that manager for the Twins? And he's like, oh, no, I'm not. Uh, I, people say that all the time. I just look like him. And so uh that's, he ends up playing with these kids and, and and he just gets to do normal kid stuff and he, he reinvigorates his uh love for the game and just how much fun it is just to hang out with these guys so that's that's kind of the turning point in this movie and it's a nice little montage where they play again another 60s song we gotta get or wait center field is that an 80s song I always forget
1: um, I don't know. I just have a note that I like the music again. So.
0: <laughs> That's Excellent uh, right-hand man commentary here from Will yeah. Olsen. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Yeah, so it's a great little scene where he plays with these kids, and they play stickball and and they set to center field. And Billy gains his love of the sport again, and he comes back to the team, and he's like, you know, guys, I've been a real dick. He doesn't use this language. But he's like, I've been a <laughs> jerk. I've had a big head. And, Lou, you're starting tonight. I apologize. And basically what happens are there's four games left in the season and if the Twins win all four and the big bad Mariners lose, therefore, then there'll be a tie and they'll go to the playoffs. And again, the Twins are just about as hapless a team as Seattle in, in overall in baseball history. So it's like the battle of the teams that don't do much. So it's a big deal that Minnesota would make the playoffs. And this will set the tone for the end of the movie, which is a really fun ending, I would say.
1: Oh, definitely. I think another note about the stickball scene, I'm pretty sure it's set in Chicago because they're playing the White Sox. Like earlier and I put a note down, there are a lot of white kids for like a city <laughs> game of stickball in Chicago. Yeah.
0: I was gonna say a Bill Haywood should not be walking around the projects of Chicago by himself. <laughs> yeah.
1: A Bill Haywood should be free to walk around the streets.
0: <laughs> yes. A Bill Haywood probably should have a bodyguard around some of those neighborhoods. <laughs> yeah. Yes, okay, so, a Bill Haywood, so yeah, so he convinces the team, just, uh, we're gonna do some crazy stuff these last four games, we gotta win, and, uh, let's just have fun. If we don't make it, that's fine. If we do make it, that's fine. Let's just, let's just go out there and have fun and see what happens. And so we get the last four games, and the Twins all of a sudden start winning again now that they have Lou back, and, and they have this montage, another second another winning montage. There's actually two winning montages in this movie. And this is where they they sweep the last four games of the season against the Cleveland Indians, and the Mariners, the bad Mariners, lose their four games, which ends the season in a tie, where it's a tie for first place, and we are going to have a one game playoff, which and now I will bring up a little history here. You may not know this well, but in nineteen ninety four there had only been one one game playoff in baseball history, and that was in 1978 in the, the Yankees Red Sox. So. Don't tell me who won. <laughs> I don't. It would have been a huge deal in 94 that there was a one game playoff to end the season, because it hadn't happened in 16 years, and it was this big baseball lore thing, like that was a legendary game, so. It's just kind of funny that this season ends in a one-game playoff, and in real life, in 1995, the next year, the Mariners and Angels had the big one-game playoff. That was the first one since 78. So this movie kind of predicted the future a little bit here. Whoa. <laughs> Trippy, yeah. If you ever want Mariners trivia, I'm your guy. Great.
1: I'll give you a call. i probably never about that. <laughs> um, I think before they start the four-game winning streak, Lou kind of gives a pep talk in the... Uh, locker room whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. and he has this one line it's like this is baseball anything can happen and all the teams like yeah and i just that stuck out to me it's like yeah baseball is you know that is baseball anything can happen and the same teams won't make the finals for four years in a row cough cough basketball <laughs> um
0: wow will Oh, uh, will Olson should be allowed to throw shade
1: <laughs> yes um so I just wanted to point that out and get that dig in the, at the NBA because I hate basketball. But anyways, <laughs> back to little, little Big League.
0: Hey, I'm from Seattle, and they took our team away, so nobody hates basketball more than me, my friend. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah they took the sauna. Okay, we're going to go off topic here. But yeah, yeah, I'm right there with you. F the NBA. I hate that league.
1: Yeah. I just think – okay, sorry. Go ahead. I, we No, we won't actually get off on that <laughs> But – one actually movie-related thing I wanted to point out is the scene where they're all in the clubhouse watching that last Mariners game on TV, mm-hmm. and they get the final out, and they all just go berserk. And I that's one of the most realistic, like, big group of people watching a sports game moments in movies, I think. Because exa- I've, I've been in rooms like that, and that's exactly what it's like. You know, because a lot of sports movies will have like, you know, quick shots. of like, oh my God, I'm crying because sports is so impactful. But this one, it's just like they're all just flipping their shit, and it's just like that's exactly how ecstatic sports fans behave in that yeah. moment.
0: Yeah, and again, I I would say because so many of these actors were not only former pro baseball players, but there's a bunch of pro baseball players in there with them. Yeah, they all know exactly how athletes would ex- would uh, celebrate in that moment. Yeah. Okay, so we get to the big game. It's a one-game playoff for the Mariners and the Twins, and it's funny. Historically, 1994 was the first year in baseball that had a wild card. They had never had that until 94, so there's a big little thing in the movie, yeah, where they say, where Chris Berman's like, I never thought I'd say this, but it's the wild card playoff game tonight, so that's kind of historically, but that's why you don't remember that is because that was the strike year. They never actually got to the playoffs, so there was no wild card, but that would have been what would have happened that year. So it's the wild card playoff game between the Mariners and the Twins, and we get this funny scene before the big championship game where Billy's doing his math homework. Mm -hmm. And there's a problem in there where, like, if it takes one guy three hours to paint a house and one guy five hours to paint a house, how long would it take them to paint the house together? And so, you know, the team is supposed to be all stressed out and intense about getting ready for this playoff game, but they're not because they're spending all this time trying to figure out Billy's math problem.
1: Okay, but what actually is the answer? Because I haven't taken a math class in literally five years mm-hmm. and I was I was so distracted. I was trying to figure it out myself because my first instinct was like oh, it's four because that's right in between but I feel like that's wrong and then the one player comes in and like does some like division stuff and I'm like you know, it's like five plus three over, you know, five times three or something like that or I think it's the opposite but I'm like And then he gets to like one and one quarter. And I'm like, that doesn't sound right either. So do you know the answer to that math question? Because you're like computer guy.
0: (laughs) I believe relief pitcher Bowers solved the the problem correctly. I think it's A times B over A plus B or whatever he said. But I believe that is, it's like 1.8 seven. I don't know, but it would, I believe the math equation in the uh, movie is correct. I don't think they would put an incorrect one in there. So I would trust the movie. And again, I am not a math tutor. So if there's any kids out there that are listening to this while studying for their math test, don't follow that logic. But I believe that relief pitcher Bowers was indeed correct.
1: Okay, because I couldn't tell if that was, like, another joke where it's like, oh, he acts all confident and, like, he knows the answer, but it's totally wrong. But I guess it's, like, the joke was, like, oh, he got it right.
0: So, <laughs> Okay, so we get to the championship game, and there's a nice little touch in this movie where all throughout the movie, Billy's got these two little friends, uh, Chuck and – I forget the other one's name.
1: Yeah, who cares? Chuck and not Chuck.
0: Chuck and not <laughs> Chuck. And every single time they're going to a game, one of the friends says – you should start Wegman, this pitcher Wegman. He beats everybody. And Billy's like, He sucks. He's three and ten. Like, why would I start this guy? And this kid is always harping on start Wegman. And so in the championship game, of course, Billy starts Wegman and Wegman shuts down the Mariners for most of the game. So it's a nice little callback of a joke that's been going throughout the whole movie.
1: Yeah. Good job, Not Chuck.
0: <laughs> well, okay, here's what bothers me. This is we're getting into baseball nerd stuff here, but they call him Wegman and there was a pitcher in the major leagues named Bill Wegman around that time, and they mm-hmm. even say in this movie the guy's name is Bill Wegman, but I don't know. I've never figured out if that's the actual Bill Wegman or if it's just an homage to a very obscure pitcher. So that's this movie messes with your head, man. I don't know if that's the real Bill Wegman.
1: I don't know. Are you sure it wasn't like Bill Wetland?
0: <laughs> it was not. Okay.
1: <laughs>
0: okay, so the Mariners and Twins are scoreless for six innings, and here comes the big, bad... Again, it's it's so odd for me to say this, because I'm from Seattle, and we only had one good player, and everybody loved him, Ken Griffey Jr., but all of a sudden, here comes Ken Griffey, and he's like the villain in this movie. I'm like, whoa, my Mariners head is spinning here, <clears throat> and so Griffey hits this big, long three-run home run way into the upper deck of the Metrodome, and again, he was the best player in baseball at the time, probably, so it's a big moment, and Griffey clears the bases. The Mariners are up 3 nothing, and you think the Twins' chances are over. But the twins are going to come back, one of their little little uh, rookie players, Mickey Scales. He's this one guy that nobody thinks can hit, but Billy's been building him up the whole movie, saying, you can hit, I trust you, I believe in you. And Mickey Scales hits a home run to tie the game. And it's a real exciting moment, and uh, it's going to continue tied. I think it goes into extra innings, we go to the 10th inning, and this is where we get one of the most fascinating scenes in this movie, the pickoff play.
1: Oh, geez.
0: Okay, uh... yeah. we got to diagram this one for you non-baseball fans here.
1: But before we get into that, one thing about the scales home run, I got so distracted because they actually, like, you know, they're using the jumbotron and everything in the movie. That, like, baseball that's, like, screaming, <laughs> like, that goes in the home run graphic, uh-huh. that's that's a nice touch. I just wanted to point that out. But, yes, let's get into this pick play. <laughs>
0: I'm positive that's probably what the Metrodome really did for home runs in the 90s. I bet they did have the screaming baseball. I know the announcer in this movie was the actual announcer for the Minnesota Twins. I forget his name, but like, there's a lot of reality going on here of how baseball actually would have been played in the 90s.
1: Yeah, I don't think they'd, you know, use the Metrodome in the movie and be like, oh, by the way, we brought our own graphics. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yes. They'd probably just be like, okay, we'll just use yours.
0: <laughs> okay, so the pickoff play, and this is one of the big signature scenes in this movie, and we got to talk about this, where Ken Griffey, the big star of the Mariners, leads off the 10th inning, and he walks, and he goes down to first base. And Billy has been hyping that they have this awesome pickoff play that like, uh, has been done in baseball over the, in like somewhere in the last hundred years. And we can do this. We're going to work on it. And, and the other players are like, that seems like a little league play. We can't do that. So Billy is going to implement his pickoff play here, which basically involves every single person on the twins. (laughs) Okay. So why don't, I will let you walk through this one because I have a lot to say about it. Once we uh, delve into whether it's legal or not. All right. Sounds good. So. Billy's in the dugout and
1: he's like, "All right, it's time to run the play." And he gives, you know, a hand signal to the catcher, and then the catcher gives a hand signal to, you know, third base. And it's hand signals are going around like pretty much the whole field. And as someone that works in a bar, that's what our um, security guys do all the time to, you know, be like, "Hey, someone over here needs to get kicked out." So I like that. Um, you call a pickoff play? Yeah, I mean, that, I'm gonna try to get that to stick now. <laughs> um, so. So they're going around the field, and they throw – I think it's a ball, but the catcher has the ball – or no. Oh, the pitcher.
0: Yeah, the pitcher – the first throw goes to first base, and Griffey right. slides back into first, and then he and Lou have a little banter. And then the second – the second pickoff throw is the interesting one.
1: That's right. Sorry. So – Ken Griffey is, you know, he's leading off trying to, you know, looking like he's going to steal second. So he throws back to first, you know, Lou catches it and, you know, he stays. He throws back to the pitcher and then he does it. He seems to do it again. Mm -hmm. And so the pitcher, it looks like the pitcher throws the ball and Lou acts like he missed it. And so he runs over, you know, he's trying to find the ball and Ken Griffey is like, oh, okay, I guess I'll just, you know, keep running because the ball's all the way over there. And so, you know, Lou is running, like, up and down the stands. He's on, like, the railing trying to look for the ball. You know, the security guard gets involved. He, like, stands up and, like, picks up his chair and, like, tries to help Lou look. And so, you know, Ken Griffey Jr. is just, you know, going around. And then it turns out the pitcher has the ball the whole time. Mm -hmm. So the pitcher... Ken Griffey Jr. you know gets to third and starts running towards home and he just throws or does he get to
0: second? They throw it to second.
1: So he throws the ball right to second and Ken you know the second baseman just has it and as Ken Griffey Jr. is running up he just kind of taps him on the shirt and he's like gotcha. Yeah.
0: Okay, let's delve into this. I'll give you the short version of what Will just said. The pitcher pretends to throw the ball to first. Everyone on that side of the field, acts like it's a wild throw. The first baseman scrambles after it. Everybody down the side of the stadium starts standing up and lifting up chairs as if the ball is rolling there. Everyone in the Twins dugout is out there jumping and screaming to go get the ball, and Griffey gets fooled. He can't see the ball, but he sees everyone acting as if there's a ball way down the line in right field. He starts going to second, and they tag him out. And this is an interesting play because... First off, it is completely legal. I know my baseball rules. Trust me, you got some nerds here on this podcast. We've done the research. But as long as the pitcher steps off the rubber, they have a pitching rubber there, as long as he steps off the rubber, he's allowed to fake a throw to first. It's perfectly legal. And a lot of people will disagree with that. You'll see people arguing over the scene. But it is legal. And what's funny is I tried to do this play. I was inspired by this because I I was a Little (laughs) League coach for many years. And one year we had a team. We were just terrible. And we were playing the best team in, like, the playoffs. And we're just going to get stomped. And I'm basically Billy Haywood at that point. I'm like, let's just do trick plays and stuff, see if we can mess with their heads. And so I had all these hidden ball tricks where one of them, I literally stole this play out of the playbook. And I'm like, let's do this fake pickoff throw down to first, just because I knew the other team was super aggressive and we catch them. And I will say, this this may only be funny to baseball fans, but again, I said that the pitcher must step off the rubber to do that, or it's a balk. He cannot walk onto the rubber. And every time we practiced it, I had this kid on there and he would step off the rubber. He did it correctly. But when I tried to do it in the game, he would kept stepping onto the rubber. He'd kept walking onto the rubber without the ball in his hand. And I would get so mad. I'm like, stop it. Just just remember we'd play we did this where we don't step on the rubber, don't step, and he kept doing it, and this little re- this little angel <laughs> kept defied me and kept stepping on the rubber because he was not he was not bright enough to follow my rules and it blew my trick play and I'm very upset. But anyway, Billy pulls it off. And Griffey gets picked off and it's a fantastic play. And again, it's a hundred percent legal and it's stuff they may have, may have done back in the old 1900s, 1910s, twenties. And it's, you kind of have to see it to see what I'm talking about, but it's such a neat play to put in a uh, baseball movie like this.
1: Yeah. I didn't know if it was legal when I first watched the movie. And like, when that came around, I was like, what the fuck (laughs) That can't be a thing. But you know, if, You tried it in Little
0: League. Sure. (laughs) As long as you have smart kids who know not to step on the rubber, then it works great.
1: Yeah, and if you don't, that's just terrible.
0: Okay, so the game goes into the 12th inning, and after that, at that pickoff play is amazing, and they stop the Mariners, and in the 12th inning, the Mariners get a run on this bad hop single through the third baseman's legs, and it looks like the Mariners are going to win the game, and... And Billy has to go to the kid, the guy that made the error in the field. And Billy basically uses his knowledge of arcane baseball history and said, you know, I know you feel down about that, but in 1926, the exact same thing happened in the World Series. This guy took a bad hop grounder and it went through his legs. And the guy's like, oh, really? And Billy is like, you know what happened after that? He went up there and he got a game-winning hit. And the guy's like, really? And Billy's like, yeah, get up there and let's save this game for us. So the guy runs up there. And this is kind of a neat moment where Billy's assistant coach is like, I don't mean to, you know, burst your bubble here, but in nineteen twenty six that bad hop grounder ended the game. The guy never had a game winning hit. And Billy's like, Yeah, I know that and you know that, but he doesn't know that. So <laughs> it's kind of a cool little reverse psychology moment.
1: Yeah. At least at least Billy didn't bring up Bill Buckner.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yep. A Bill Buckner must be taken out of the game in the late innings. <laughs> okay. okay, so so the Twins are down one run, they get the uh, tying run, the guy that made the error gets on base, and basically it all comes down to the last batter, it's Lou, the big hero of the Twins, it's Timothy Busfield, and he's coming up there, and he's, you know, as in every sports movie, Lou's going to hit the home run to win the game for the Twins, but the, this is a neat little twist where the Mariners counter, and they decide, well, we're going to bring in our star pitcher, and they bring in again i'm from seattle so i can say this with all love the fugliest pitcher in major league <laughs> history randy johnson who is six foot ten and basically looked like big bird like he's the ugliest <laughs> scariest meanest looking dude ever and he was our big ace in seattle so I, I i say this with love but they bring in like the actual randy johnson and again if you've never seen randy before hide the children like he's terrifying looking
1: <laughs> yeah i'm 24 and i got scared yeah
0: and Randy's six foot ten. Like he looks like a giraffe. He's just—he doesn't look like a human being. And he comes in there, and so it's Randy Johnson, the real Randy, against Timothy Busfield. And what I love, again, baseball nerds will love this. The first pitch, like Johnson throws a high inside fastball that brushes Busfield off the plate. And if you watch, that's actually what happened. There's not a stunt double there like mm-hmm. johnson actually brushes back an actor throwing like near his head and so i give a little props to uh, timothy busfield taking a 98 mile an hour fastball right near his head it's a nice little moment
1: yeah i think my favorite part is right before you know lou goes out because this is when you know lou goes up to the batter's box and he's like oh yeah by the way your mom asked me to marry her <laughs> and um and billy's like oh what did she say and and she um lou says she said, it's, if it's okay with you, it's okay with me. And so Billy says, if you hit a home run, you can marry my mom. And Lou's like, okay. And he starts to walk away, and Billy's like, and Lou? And he's, he comes back and he's like, even if you don't hit a home run, you can still marry my mom. <laughs> and he's like, okay. And then he starts to walk away again, and Billy calls him back again. He's like, and Lou? And Lou's just like, yes <laughs> and he's like watch out for this pitch and i'm just and he's like okay and i'm just i kept waiting he's like and lou and it's like what it's like do you want to get like hot dogs after the game <laughs> It's like, sure whatever He's like and lou and it's like what what do you want on the hot dog <laughs> you know it's like if that's like you know if i was waiting for like who's on first <laughs> you know like
0: well, you know, the lesson there is that a Lou Collins must be allowed to bang Billy's mom. Yes.
1: Lou Col- um, a Lou Collins must be able to bang a <laughs> Billy Hayward's mom.
0: <laughs> yes. So Lou goes up to the plate, and again, you know he's going to hit a home run. That's the way these movies end. And here comes Randy Johnson's pitch, and again, Busfield swings. And I can't. again, I can't say enough about Timothy Busfield looks like a real hitter. He's got a major league swing, and he hits the ball, and it's going to be a home run, and... Out of nowhere, Ken Griffey of the Mariners comes up and saves the day, and the Mariners win the pennant, and I'm so excited. And Oh, wait, they the bad guys. So anyway, <laughs> the bad guys win the movie, the Mariners win, and there's this awesome shot of Randy Johnson jumping up on the mound celebrating while all these people that are literally half his size come out to hug him. It's, it's like, it's like the, the Oompa Loompa, the Lollipop Guild, whatever, coming out there. <laughs> so the twins lose, and Billy kind of sees Lou at home plate. Lou would have hit the game-winning home run, but it gets robbed by Ken Griffey of the awesome Seattle Mariners. (laughs) And Billy's like, hey, good job, Lou. And so they go back in the clubhouse, and Billy basically says, good job, everyone. We had a good season. I'm very proud of you. Thank you for giving me a chance. And... I'm retiring. I decided, you know, I I don't really want to be a grown-up anymore. It's too it's too much for me. I can't do this. I'm stepping down and Mac, my assistant coach is going to be the manager and my favorite player Jerry that apparently never came back and stuck it in my face, he's going to be our new hitting coach. So it's a nice ending and <laughs> and they're like, "No, what will we do without you, Billy?" and one of the guys, Bowers, is like, you were the only one who knows the fine art of the water balloon, Billy. I need you. <laughs> so Billy retires and steps down. He's like, I'll still be around. I'm still the owner. And so it ends with all the, the fans out in the stadium chanting Billy's name. And even though they lost, the fans give him a standing ovation, and Billy holds up his hat. And and that's the end of the movie. A very, very nice, very, again, grounded in reality baseball movie. One of the rare ones. I would really put this in Major League as the one that really it feels like it, it was really put together and written by people who understand all the intricacies of baseball. And it was cast with people that know and can play baseball. And it's one of those, it's so much better than I think you you think it's going to be going into it. And that's why I've always had a uh, special place in my heart for it.
1: Oh, definitely. And even like the DVD cover, it's like Billy, like blowing a bubble, like a bubble gum bubble in the face of an umpire. And mm-hmm. I, you just look at it. And it's like, Oh brother. It's like, you know, smart-ass little kid playing baseball manager that looks so dumb but if you like like we've been saying if you actually watch it it's a fantastic movie it's a fantastic sports movie it's you know it checks all the boxes and i one could really call it a delight (laughs) Yes. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, done. it's it's a family movie, Again, I'm not really high on family movies because they tend to pull their punches and they're a little saccharine for my my taste usually. But this one, I think, if I could recommend a family movie, and I don't even know if you have to like baseball, I think you would appreciate you'd you'd uh, appreciate the way they present Billy's journey and they don't fancify it. They don't really make it extra comedic or extra silly just to get cheap laughs. So I think you'd appreciate the artistry in this one. And that's one of those things that I just, I think it's so abhorrent to me that, you know, angels in the outfield and rookie of the year in the Sandlock get all the attention for coming out in that era. And I think this one's the best of the four and nobody ever ta- ever talks about this one. I think that's just kind of sad.
1: Yeah. And I think just for me, you know, it holds a special place to me too, because um, I had a friend that died before our high school graduation And that was the same year that the Red Sox won the World Series. So having, you know, and I always think of her when that happens. And so it's kind of the same thing with Billy. It's like, Hey, you know, let's do it for, you know, my grandpa. And so this is, you know, it's kind of in the same wheelhouse as, you know, the Sox for me. So it's kind of emotional for me as well.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And again, I just can't get over the fact that it's the one movie where the Mariners are like, cool. which has never, ever happened ever (laughs) in history. It's like, wow, we have one movie where we're the big, scary villains. And like Ken Griffey is presented as like this God of baseball. It's just kind of hilarious to me. And I have to drop a little Mariners trivia on everyone here that it's funny in this game. Again, we have this one game playoff in 94 where that had not happened in 16 years. It was just an amazing thing to have a one game playoff between two teams. It literally did happen the next year in real life between the Mariners and the angels And what's even doubly funny about that is that in this movie, the manager, Lou Pinella brings in Randy Johnson to pitch in relief in the last inning. And Randy Johnson doesn't normally pitch in relief. He's a starter. They bring him in in relief just because it's such an important game. The next year in 95, they literally did that, where Randy Johnson came in to pitch in relief against the Yankees in the 95 playoffs. And it was an equally exciting moment, maybe the most exciting moment I've ever seen in person. So this movie kind of predicted the future for the next year in baseball, which is kind of cute.
1: Or maybe Lou Pinella just really liked this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it
0: could be. Okay, before we sign off here, I have to, again, go over the list of the cast in this movie. Again, all the, almost all the actors in this movie played baseball in some form or another, with the exception of maybe Jonathan Silverman. I don't know. That's Bowers. I don't know if he played before. But, like, Timothy Busfield. And then Blackout is played by the guy Brad Leslie. You have this guy Michael Papajohn. He's an actor. He was a uh, professional baseball player. He ends up playing their right fielder, Tucker Kane. You have this guy, Leon Durham. He was a baseball player in the 80s. He plays the guy on this team, one of the big uh, the big hitters. And just the cameos in this movie. Now, Will, you might be too young to know some Probably. of these guys, but people who grew up in the 80s and 90s and know baseball, I'm just going to name some of the cameos in this movie. It's it's astounding how many there are. You have Lou Pinella, Ken Griffey, Randy Johnson, Dave Magadan, Mickey Tettleton, Paul O'Neill, Yvonne Rodriguez, Wally Joyner, Rafael Palmero, Dean Palmer, Tim Raines. You have Carlos Bayerga, Alex Fernandez, and Sandy Alomar. Every single one of those is recognizable in this movie, and that's why I say these baseball scenes are so real, and that's what these other baseball kids' movies do not have. They don't have all these actual players doing actual player things, and again, it's not played for laughs, most of them, and that's the one thing I just keep repeating. So that's the one thing. If you like baseball, if you have any interest in seeing baseball portrayed realistically in a movie, Little Big League is about as good as you're going to get, with the exception of maybe Major League.
1: And if you like Matthew McConaughey, go watch Angels in the Outfield. (laughs) Like, we have real baseball players. Angels has Matthew McConaughey.
0: (laughs) A Matthew McConaughey must be allowed to pretend he's a pro baseball player. All right, all right,
1: all right. It's probably about how well he (laughs) did. If he actually played baseball, he'd probably be all right,
0: all right, all right. All right, Will, do you have anything else to add, any more last thoughts before we sign off and send people out so they can go see Little Big League and you can go see Major League?
1: Yeah. One character I think we totally overlooked, but that's because the movie totally overlooks her too, is um, Shelley Hogaboom, (laughs) who's like the big, you know, Billy's like big crush in the, you know, in the school she comes up to him in the hallway like early like right after he starts owning the twins and she's like oh my god you're billy haywood can i have your autograph and he's like yeah sure and it's like can you make it out to shelly and he's like "Oh uh, yeah and so she's you know she gets it and walks away and chuck's just like shelly boom, what a babe <laughs> it's funny because there's a scene in the ice cream shop when they're you know talking about his grandpa And they mention it's like, your grandpa's like the richest guy. He owns the twins, but nobody knows, and he's totally a normal guy. But all of a sudden, like, there's this girl that wants Billy's autograph. (laughs) Like, what happened in, like, not knowing who the owner of the twins is? (laughs) But And then there's a scene at one of the games um, where, you know, he's talking with his friends and his mom before the game, and Chuck's just like – Yo, Billy, 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 Shelly Hogaboom is sitting in section one twelve and he's like, Oh, really? And she's like, Yeah. And that's the last we hear of Shelly Hogaboom. Yeah. <laughs> like, I expected, like, oh, she'll like be at the you know, playoff game and she'll be like, Oh, you lost, but it's okay, I still like you, but nope. <laughs> it's literally she gets Billy's autograph and Chuck calls her a babe. <laughs> and that's it.
0: Wouldn't that have have been a nice twist if the replacement Billy ends up with uh, Shelly (laughs) Hogaboom?
1: Yeah, that was the um, post-credit scene. (laughs) But I think another thing about Shelly, too, is, like, she has this valley girl accent. And I'm like, what's a valley girl doing in Minnesota? (laughs) 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 What the hell? Wait, they had valleys in Norway, right? Uh, We called them fjords, thank you. I'm actually (laughs) Norwegian.
0: She's a fjord girl. (laughs) Fjord
1: girl, yes.
0: a Shelly Hogeboom must be allowed to talk with her Norwegian accent.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, that's Shelley Hawkins to you, Mario. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All
0: right. I, I think that's about it. We're going to sign off here uh, again. I want to thank you, will for stopping by and talking about little big league again, just one of those movies. It's so little respected. And it's just funny about that, that way that this one just never caught on with people the way that the more fanciful ones did. So Again, my name is Mario Lanza. If you want to uh, reach me, uh, you can catch me on email at staffpixpodcast at gmail.com. You can reach me on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. And until the next time we talk, I will be out there looking for more underrated and underloved movies. Talk to you guys later. Goodbye. Goodbye. Night nurses from Jersey, yeah, they're off the
1: turnpike and on duty for love.